Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. Happy New Year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> it's 2023. Yeah, it well it will be when everybody hears this. On another note, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk all about the films that inspired Stranger Things, and we are also going to talk a little bit about some 80s horror movie tropes. So this is film class. I am a cinematographer. (laughs) And Amanda is a film student. This is exciting. I've never taken a film course, but I kind of always wanted to. So, Well, you're in for a real treat. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda has a visual aid that I have prepared that includes some stills from all the films we're going to talk about. A lot of parallels between Stranger Things scenes and the film's. So maybe when we do our Instagram post, I can include some of these thingies for you all to look at, too. Yeah. Part of the inspiration for this episode, I think maybe partially was our mouth breathers episode because we kind of had fun with like the the bully tropes and all that stuff Mm -hmm. from tvtropes.org, which I did not use today as a source. Oh, no. I know. R.I.P. But yeah, today we're going to talk... All about horror movie tropes, mostly from the 80s. Forewarning, some of these tropes have um, racist and sexist implications. We're also going to talk about how the Duffer Brothers may or may not have used some of these tropes. Or maybe they even defied them. Hmm. And then, of course, we need to spend time addressing what films have inspired Stranger Things. I originally was going to do like films and TV and books and video games, but then I got really sucked into the film part (laughs) and I was like, no, we can't talk for four hours. So we're just going to, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like each of those forms of media could have their own episode. Yeah. So maybe we can run with that. This is our films one. Okay. Um, And I will say you'll, you'll see, and you probably already know a lot of the films are adaptations of books anyway so oh, yeah that's true yeah so a lot of the information about the duffer brothers inspiration for stranger things is going to come from the stranger things wiki because it is very neat and it is consolidated yeah and i've seen a lot of movies and i can usually be like mm, there's that one but i can't say that i've seen every single movie that has inspired the show that is not practical life so it was really helpful to use the wiki for the part about the films other sources, couple articles from Screen Rant, um, IMDb, I definitely use quite a bit. Uh, of course, the Stranger Things Wiki, an online magazine called Affinity Magazine, a website called The Mary Sue. Oh, all right. Which, it's all pop culture. Cool. 
articles about pop culture, that kind of thing. And then another website with articles called CBR. So I think what I want to do is I think I want to start with the inspiration. I think I want to start with the film. So if you could please refer to your visual aid so that you know what the hell I'm saying. I got it. All right. So the Stranger Things wiki calls the inspiration for the show the influences and references. And again, a big shout out to whoever consolidated all of this information because that page is like pages and pages and pages and pages. Wow. Yeah. There are a lot of films listed because I think what they did was not only did they reference films that inspired the show and influenced the show, but they also listed virtually every film that is ever even alluded to in the show. Wow. So, like, for example, The Thing, how Mike has the poster for The Thing yeah. in his basement and Dark Crystal, right? Like, those yes. are all movies that are just kind of in the show, like, as pop culture references themselves, but they're not actually influencing the content. Wow. That is intense. It is very intense. I had to really filter through this. So what I did was I picked out the prominent, very well-known films with the most influence across all four seasons of the show. Okay. Um, and then I did like a little, little honorable mention section because I didn't want to leave some out because they're obviously like important. But also just a spoiler alert for literally all of these movies that are mostly <laughs> over 40 years old. <laughs> Listen, if you're a person like me who, like, doesn't watch movies ever, you've been mm-hmm. warned, okay? <laughs> because. Yeah, spoiler for movies from the 80s, the 70s, yeah. and actually a little bit of the 90s, too. Yeah, there's so. going to be – I'm probably going to have spoilers for every single movie you mention, so. Okay. Well, you've been warned. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Great. We're going to start with Alien, which came out in 1979. I have not personally seen Alien. Me either. But, yeah. But the main inspiration derived from this particular film, I think, is in the appearance mostly of the Upside Down. Also, the alien in Alien, (laughs) which is known as Xenomorph, is very Demogorgon-esque. I see that. Yes. Mostly because it is, like, humanoid in its most mature form. Okay. Notice how I say mature form. Oh. Yes. There also seems to be a life cycle in Alien, um, similar to what we know also of the Demogorgon. And it starts with eggs. Okay. <laughs> Amanda's face. It's like, I don't like it. I already don't like this. It's pretty, it's pretty gross. Um, it starts with eggs. Also, in Alien, the aliens use living hosts oh. to incubate their offspring. Yes. So we don't have this confirmed by Mm -hmm. Stranger Things, but we are going to do like a Stranger Things ecology class and we're going to speculate all about the life cycle of the Demogorgon and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we we see Will getting his tentacle in his throat Mm -hmm. at the end of season one. It's very parasitic. Um, And there's something in Alien called a face hugger, which I also included in your visual aid. Sounds very friendly. (laughs) Ah, uh, yes. Um, and the face hugger's purpose is literally to implant the offspring into the living host. And then the face hugger dies. It's literally its entire purpose is to just implant the offspring. Ew. 
Yeah, and then there's a chest burster. These are all very literal. Yeah, they, they didn't get very creative with the name. No, very literal. Uh, so yeah, the chest burster then quite literally bursts through the the chest of the host. Yes, and then the life cycle eventually they mature into the xenomorph. Okay. So okay. it is very very demogorgony. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if the the speculation is accurate on demogorgons using humans as hosts. Right. Yeah. yeah. Also, the conclusion of the film, the alien is burned to death. So oh. there is that, too. Wow. Okay. Yes. That's like a lot of parallels. Yes. yes it's, it's, it's huge. And then just a fun fact, Winona Ryder is actually in the 1997 sequel, Alien Resurrection. Oh, fun. Yeah. Little baby Winona. Yes. Isn't um, Paul Reiser also in Alien? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, he is. Yeah, so that's that's uh, Sam Owens. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Next film is a film called Akira, which came out in 1988. Okay. This is actually, again, I've never seen this film. It's, a, it's actually an anime film. Hmm. Um, and I'm just going to read the synopsis because you, that's all it requires. The plot follows a teenage biker with psychic powers who attempts to release an imprisoned psychic named Akira. Akira features children who possess psychic powers, collectively referred to as espers. These children were test subjects experimented on in a secret government project. The government aimed to develop and use their abilities for personal gain. Hmm. Yes. Very uh, Stranger Things. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yeah, so... The Duffer Brothers actually, there's a quote on the wiki, essentially, of them saying, like, how much of an influence Akira had on the plot of Stranger Things. And this was 1988, so, like, it came out after even the events of the show. Yeah. Okay. I had this thought of how old would the kids in Stranger Things be right now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, how old would they be? I think they would be... In their late 30s, early 40s? There's no way. Really? So, like, let's say Eleven was born if she was if she was about 12 and 83, right? Yeah. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, they would definitely she, be way older. She would be born in 71. Yeah. And it's 2022. They would be in their 50s. 51. Okay. The kids would be in their 50s. That is wild. Yeah. Okay. On to the next one, The Brecky Club. Which is definitely what that movie is called. Yes. Brecky. <laughs> the Brecky Club. The Breakfast Club, 1985. I have seen The Breakfast Club. I have. Have you seen The Breakfast Club? Okay. I yeah. have. So I think we already talked about the scene of the kids running through Hawkins Middle in season one mm-hmm. as being very Breakfast Club. But the wiki also says that the Scoops Ahoy crew was sort of inspired by The Breakfast Club as well. I could see that. Yeah. Right. So for those of you who don't know, The Breakfast Club follows a group of, like, five high schoolers, all from completely different social cliques, and they end up with an all-day detention on a Saturday. Um, And most of the movie is spent with them, like, defying the rules put in place by the vice principal, but ultimately the five of them kind of find common ground and do a lot of, like, identity reflection. It's a bit of, like, a coming-of-age tale. Mm Mm-hmm. The dis- description doesn't really do the movie justice, but it's fine. We only have so much time. <laughs> um, I also thought this was really interesting. The wiki mentions how the five teenagers in The Breakfast Club are actually quite similar to Billy, Steve, Robin, Nancy, and Jonathan. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the films, The Breakfast Club's teenagers, there's a criminal, John Bender. The princess is Claire Standish, which is Molly Ringwald. Athlete, Andrew Clark. The brain, Brian Johnson. And then Basket Case, so Ali Sheedy, <laughs> Allison Reynolds. And they're very similar to like Billy Hargrove, the criminal, the princess, Nancy Wheeler, yep. athlete, Steve Harrington, brain, Jonathan Byers, and basket case, Robin Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I see it. There's definitely parallels. Yeah. yeah. I never thought of that. Also, Eden in season four is yes. Ali Sheedy. I'm sorry, but I'm also not sorry. <laughs> I, I think she was like specifically cast to look like her. Yes. Like yes. for sure. Because it's like mm-hmm. a dead ringer. It is. It's not even deniable. For those of you who have not yet looked up a side-by-side of Eden from season four and Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club, yeah, you should, you should pause and go do that immediately. It's, it's like, I mean, exact. Yeah, it's uncanny. Yeah. Okay. Um, on to darker things. Mm. And this one caught me off guard because I've seen Carrie. I don't know if you've seen Carrie. They did just do a remake of it. Um, yes. In 2013, but this original iteration of Carrie was 1976. Okay. And Carrie is a movie adaptation of a Stephen King novel by the same name. So Carrie Mm -hmm. follows Carrie, (laughs) who is (laughs) 16 years old. And essentially, it, it focuses on how she is horrifically abused in essentially every situation. So she's abused at home by her mom, who's a complete religious fanatic. And she's also kind of abused at school by her peers and ultimately the film kind of ends with her being humiliated at her prom after her bullies rig the prom queen election just to lure her on stage to then douse her in pig's blood hmm. yes yeah, so i'm sure if you haven't seen the film you've seen visuals from it yeah pretty famous but where the inspiration is really drawn from carrie is in the fact that throughout the film carrie discovers that she has telekinesis and i think i was too young when i saw it to really process that but she has telekinesis and i'm pretty sure she even does some kind of car flippage there's some kind of vehicle yeah again it's been it's been ages um i just need to pause on the fact that you watched this (laughs) film when you were so young that you didn't understand telekinesis and yet you watched her get pig's blood dumped on her at her prom do we want to talk about all the films I was made to watch when I was too young to watch them, Amanda? Okay, fair. <laughs> because there's another one coming up. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. My mom was really into films, and we watched them regardless of their rating. <laughs> so there's that. In case you haven't already deduced, Carrie is a horror movie. Yes. Um, so if you haven't seen it, you can probably, you know, figure out that she uses her powers for sinister purposes after being so severely bullied and abused. Good um, so there you go. <laughs> but both she and Elle in Stranger Things struggle with controlling their powers. Mm. Yeah. The wiki even pointed out Elle's struggle to fit in in season four. And also mentions her outbursts, like, at Rinkomania after getting covered in milkshake, which isn't, like, exactly pig's blood, but it is still, the gist is there. Yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely an intentional parallel. Yes. I also want to point out that there is a character in Carrie named Billy, and there is also a character named Tommy. So, yes, very common names, but (laughs) it's worth the mention. 
Okay, on a lighter note, we have to talk about E.T. Of course. We just have to. And I don't even really know where to begin because I feel like this is one of those things that we could just sit here and talk about and have its own episode. Oh, yeah. It's just like weaved throughout the entire series. Quite literally. Yeah. yeah. But in a nutshell, because we will be here all year, E.T. is about a young boy named Elliot who befriends an alien. And Elliot brings E.T. into his home and him and his siblings agree to keep E.T.'s existence a secret. But really where the parallel gets very clear is mike introducing l to all of these like suburban <laughs> objects like these domestic objects that l has never seen before growing up in a lab so like the lazy boy chair mm-hmm. and the television set like these are all things that were foreign to l and elliot and et does something very similar with et yes. and just kind of right introduces him to all these little things Essentially, the entire start of, like, Mike and Elle's relationship in season one is an homage to E.T. Mm-hmm. Especially Elle dressing up in her, <laughs> in Nancy's dress with the wig. Like, E.T. legitimately puts on a dress <laughs> and a wig, and it, it's it's there. Again, another really good thing to Google. He looks so cute. <laughs> he does. He does look very, very cute. Still pretty. <laughs> Still pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just just for like a fun little logic equation in case any of you are going to be taking uh, like the SATs or perhaps the Terra Novas or maybe even the, the Geppas. I don't know. What do you people take nowadays? Mike is to Elliot as L is to E.T. <laughs> also a very helpful analogy for if you're going to grad school and maybe taking the Miller analogies test. Great, there you go. Great way to practice. You'll never know when you're going to need that information. Yes. <laughs> okay, back to films that I saw when I was way too young. Oh, dear God. The Exorcist. <laughs> I still I haven't seen The Exorcist. Don't do it. Do not recommend. But also, like, you kind of have to. Right. I don't know. It was treated to me like some kind of rite of passage. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. So I want to start off by saying... No, thank you. Um, I still, to this day, cannot watch this movie. Wow. I can I cannot do it. It is... I can say with confidence that, like, some of film's most disturbing visuals probably come from The Exorcist. Wow. It is... It is... It is. It, it sure is. It just is. <laughs> Um, I'm going to give you a really watered down version of this, but for those of you lucky souls who don't know or have not seen this movie, it is essentially about a young girl named Reagan McNeil who is possessed by the devil. Any possession film ever, bef- there, this is the quintessential possession movie. So anything that you've seen, I don't even, I can't even think about them. The haunting of so-and-so, the possession of that person, yeah. the Emily Rose. Yeah, that's that the one, one I was thinking one, of. Right? All these, they're all, they're all pulling from the exorcist. It's yeah. undeniable. Yeah. Um, if you haven't figured it out already where I'm going with this, Will's possession in season two is heavily inspired by the exorcist. For sure. Yeah. Even so much as in the exorcist, like Reagan eventually starts to demand that the room is kept cold. Like it's oh. all very, Yeah. Which I would imagine is, like, probably just, like, demons. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd venture to guess they're cold-blooded, right? 
Yeah, they probably just yeah, like it probably is just demons. They just like it cold. I mean, it's hot in hell, so you'd think sure they like it cold when they can get it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> For sure. Um, don't watch this movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you want to watch it, it's great. You just, you just, it's just disturbing. I guess it all just depends on what spooks you. Yeah, and it also depends on if you're eight years old or not. Yeah, don't be eight. <laughs> it's rated R. I wasn't fortunate enough to watch this movie at an appropriate age. I was probably about eight. Oh, so. Dear yeah it's not great for an eight-year-old um if you all have children just kind of make them wait it out a bit i don't know don't watch this movie (laughs) if you are eight (laughs) that's great advice (laughs) um it is but i can't i can't like you know it's 1973 it is like a feat of cinema it is worth a watch but it is a horror movie through and through like i'm sorry it is one of it's just very disturbing visuals yes All right, let's close that chapter. I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So The Goonies, 1985. I have never seen The Goonies. Hmm. Some people would probably deem this blasphemous. I know, Kimberly, that you are (laughs) listening to this and you probably are displeased to know that I have not watched this movie. But yeah, our friend Kim is probably like, well, I'm going to turn this off now. I can't listen to these two anymore. <laughs> I've I've seen it. I actually have. Okay. All right. Good. Amanda's making up for it yes. now. Um, we've talked about this, but Bob is in the movie. Of course. Sean Astin is in the movie. Yes. Second of all, The Goonies is about a group of young kids who find an old treasure map while trying to save their home from being bought out by a corporation who plans to turn the land into a country club. Yeah, it's an adventure tale, um, but really where a lot of the inspiration is drawn from, you know, short of just the four boys on an adventure thing. Yeah. They explore an underground tunnel system, which is very similar to the tunnel system in The Gate. Yes. From season two. And that's that. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) On the the Goonies. (laughs) Well, it kind of reminds me, too, of like... um season three a little bit how Mm. the russians are coming in and like buying up all the land Mm -hmm. and you know making the mall and it's destroying the the small like downtown small businesses yeah 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 corporate takeovers yep capitalism (laughs) all right grem fucking lens we have to talk about gremlins That's the rated R version. That's the the rated R version is Grim fucking Lens. (laughs) And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because I am incredibly biased and I love this movie. And I don't know. Is this a kid's movie? I don't don't really know. It's hard to say. I don't think it's a kid's movie, to be honest. Yeah, I don't either. Because, like, it has has playful themes. Yeah. But... Ultimately, like, I was scared that there was a gremlin under my bed and it was going to scratch my feet. Like, <laughs> and, like, not in, like, a good, like, cozy way. Like, a, like I'm bleeding and my feet are, are ruined. Didn't you have a cat, though? I did have a cat, but that's not a gremlin. Well, well yeah, but they... they cats can... aren't homicidal. Gremlins are. I don't know. Some cats can be. <laughs> my, my cat hides under my bed and scratches my feet sometimes. Okay. He's kind of like right, a gremlin. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Well, well don't know. okay. Me... The other problem with, with gremlins, with at least our age group, is that when we were young, Furbies were out. 
which okay yes which scarred us all for life and i think that furbies furbies and gremlins bear way too much of a resemblance and furbies are very scary gremlins are too they can be but mogwais aren't yes mogwais are cute mogwais are nice so so gremlins um, 1984, it literally came out the year that season two is taking place during this one hell of a sentence. Yep. <laughs> um, I love Gremlins, in case you couldn't already tell. Mm-hmm. So Gremlins follows a character named Billy. I don't know. Was anybody named anything else back no. then? Was everybody just Billy and Nancy? It seems like that was the only name. There's like five <laughs> names available in the 80s. <laughs> I would love to Google like top names of 1984. Yes. Like somebody do this. Somebody, please. Not that I can't. But anyway, <laughs> so it follows a character named Billy um, after his father sneakily. And by sneakily, I pretty much mean illegally. buys a tiny creature called a mogwai off of a cellar in New York. Okay. And the Mogwai has rules, okay? You don't feed the Mogwai after midnight, and you don't get it wet. Isn't it always after midnight? It is. Just like it's always after Labor Day. Right? I say this So we can time. never wear white. Or you can always wear white. Because it's also always before Labor Day, too. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered, like, what was the window of time? Like, when did after midnight end right is it like six six o'clock like when the sun comes i don't know <laughs> yeah and then daylight savings would like shift the oh, after true. midnight window yeah it's weird magic anyway don't feed your gremlins at, or i'm sorry your mogwais don't feed them after midnight and don't get them wet because right. if you feed them after midnight they turn into gremlins and if you get them wet they multiply so it's just a really bad bad combo of problems I mean, I suppose you could wet them and not feed them because then you would just have many mogwais. But don't, don't feed the the, the mogwais yes. because then they become gremlins. Are we following? Okay. Yes. Um. Yeah. Just don't do either because they will they will ruin your Christmas and they will ransack your town and potentially murder you. That is the plot of the film. They just don't do it. So where Stranger Things pulls inspiration is mostly in season two with Dustin and Dart. Mm. Yeah. Um, we are going to actually probably talk about this very soon because our next episode is on the Pollywog. Yes. But Dart's evolution throughout season two is also all very gremlin. So like him sprouting legs in the AV club room and then when he eats Muse and bursts out of his like terrarium. <laughs> Yeah. Also, just for fun, go listen to the Gremlin Rag and then watch the scene in the AV room in the Polywog. It's like virtually the same song. Aww. Just it's so cute. It's really very similar to the Gremlin Rag. So and I love the Gremlin Rag. The Gremlin Rag is a bop. I gotta listen to it. Go listen. It will be it's an earworm. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. On to Indiana Jones. <laughs> Enough about Grim, Grim fucking Lens. <laughs> so this is just essentially the general series, the Indiana Jones series of films, 1981 to 1989. I need to mention mostly because I love Harrison Ford. Hopper's character is inspired by Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. Yes. The wiki mentions specifically Hopper, like, grabbing his hat, similarly to how Indiana Jones grabs his hat. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because David Harbour, uh, fuck's his name, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Harrison Ford. I just, they're just, 
I don't know. I got a thing. <laughs> I got a thing. Yeah. A hat thing. I just, it's a hat, yeah. <laughs> All right. On to Jaws, which we talked about quite a bit mm-hmm. when we were talking about season one. Yes. We also talked about how Stranger Things in our season one overview, which we should probably re-record because that sounded like garbage. What? But anyway. Oh, the season the one. season. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? We've improved so much since then. We have. But we talked in that episode about how Stranger Things was originally supposed to be called Montauk. Yes. Well, Jaws takes place on Montauk. Which is wild because the shark attacks that inspired Jaws took place in New Jersey, actually. Well, yeah. we were just not interesting enough. No, we were not. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Jaws is about a shark that is absolutely terrorizing this tiny little beach town. I also need to understand why this movie is rated PG. <laughs> I know. I still haven't seen it. I'm afraid. And I don't, it, I don't need to see it. I'm already afraid of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> True. You have that thalassophobia thing. Yes. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Jaws already, like I said. But Jaws is a predator in the same way that the Demogorgon is a predator. Drawn by the scent of blood, feeding in its home, you know, like bringing its meals back to its house. Yes. Nest. Its house. <laughs> its Demogorgon nest. Also, according to the wiki, the Duffer brothers have said that Jaws is one of their favorite films. Oh, cool. So, and there is a poster of Jaws in season one, very visible, especially when the blood thing is happening. It's all very referency and happening. Yes. On to the next one, which is another personal favorite of mine. A Nightmare on Elm Street. So this is 1984. This movie came out, I'm pretty sure, November 16th, 1984, give or take a few days. So literally, like, within two weeks of season two, this movie came out. Wow. Which is fun. I don't know what to say about this except season four. Totally. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Season four. Clearly, I've never even seen Nightmare on Elm Street, and I know that it is very heavily referencing it. She's glaring at me. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's scary. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> it <looks> scary. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> anyway, we're just gonna we're just gonna ignore that. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street follows Nancy Thompson because that was the only female name. Yes, Nancy in the eighties. Nancy. She's a high school girl. As she is haunted in her dreams by Mr. Freddy Krueger. Pay him respect. It's scary. I don't want to be haunted in my dreams. Freddy Krueger. Anyway, (laughs) as all of her friends are murdered in their dream states by Freddy, like throughout the film, Nancy learns that Freddy was actually a real child who terrorized her mother and her friends when they were young. Freddy is presumed dead. I'm sorry. Major spoiler. Freddy- <laughs> wow now i don't have to watch it <laughs> now amanda doesn't have to watch the movie freddie was presumed dead after being burned alive hence his burned appearance oh he weird he was burned alive and is presumed was. dead yeah much like a character in season four wow that we don't know if he's dead or not wow also nancy and freddie wow <laughs> Wow. (laughs) I didn't even do that. (laughs) So essentially Vecna's entire shtick is just Freddy Krueger, particularly with characters entering like dreamlike states as part of his MO. But also Vecna's claw hand is very Freddy knife glove. Mm -hmm. 
knife glove. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> Vecna's claw hand is very Freddy's knife glove. <laughs> Yeah. We also talked a little bit in our season one chapters about how Nancy and Jonathan sort of booby trapping the buyer's house and luring the Demogorgon in season one is very Nancy and Glenn booby trapping her house and luring Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's very parallel-y. Yeah. And in the last, I think the last episode, or second to last, I don't know, whatever, Max also lures Vecna. To try to yes, kill him. she does. Yeah, she does. Yeah, so there's a lot of luring going on. Mm-hmm. Also, it's it's kind of specific, but when Nancy is in Vecna's hallucination, when she's wandering and she's in the pool, and then she she moves through. If I remember correctly, I should really rewatch those like last two episodes of season four. She kind of moves through what I remember, or is that the last episode of season of part one? I don't know. She moves through, like, what is, like, a boiler room space, like, a very basement-y space, yeah. I think. I think, yeah. Which is very Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy in that movie does similarly. Oh. She moves through, yeah. And then also Robert England is literally in yeah. season four. He sure is. Okay, another one of my favorites. Poltergeist. We get a ton. This is 1982, and Joyce actually gets Will tickets to see Poltergeist. That's right. Um, we get a ton of poltergeist references in Stranger Things, but ultimately this movie is pretty standard haunted house story with a touch of interdimensional terror. And a creepy child. And a creepy child. And a clown. <clears throat> There's a clown. So that's a little, you know, what's his face? Mr. Baldo or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Go away. The young girl in poltergeist, Carol Ann. Yes. Who is essentially just Holly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Um, and yeah, she ends up trapped in an alternate dimension. Okay. Hmm. Weird. By an, an entity called the Beast. Okay. Interestingly enough, this dimension is accessed via the television set in the film. Oh. Not that the Upside Down is accessed via the Christmas lights in Stranger Things, but the, it's a similar gist. Mm-hmm. It's like this household object more or less being used to communicate and that kind of thing. Makes sense. Yeah. So Poltergeist. Carol Ann, Holly, is the same person. Also, Carol Ann, her actress, because they filmed several poltergeists. I don't know if it was three or four, but she actually ended up, a lot of the cast of that film, I'm pretty sure died. Yeah, like very young right? and tragically. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't star in poltergeist yeah. if you can help. Another piece Just of great try, advice. Yeah, try to avoid that. Yeah. Okay. My last movie is Stand By Me, which came out in 1986. Which I also saw when I was younger, but this one's not quite as brutal <laughs> as the other ones. So it's been a minute since I've seen it, but it's about a group of young boys who are forced to confront the trauma of the death of another young boy in their town. Hmm. And they essentially spend the film searching for that young boy's body. In fact, the movie Stand By Me is inspired by Stephen King's 1982 novella called The Body. Oh, Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Beyond these very obvious parallels, some of the most iconic scenes from Stand By Me feature the kids trekking along railroad tracks. And also, the kids in in Stand By Me encounter bullies who wield a switchblade, similar to Troy and James in season one. Okay. Yeah. Those are fun to look up. Like Stand By Me, Stranger Things, little like visual parallels because it's very, very... It's like almost scene by scene. So 
definitely Stranger Things stand by me. Cool. Okay, some honorable mentions. Back to the Future. We obviously get a lot of that in season three. Mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Just want to say Phoebe Cates is in Gremlins. Oh. Forgot to mention that. She's also in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right. Firestarter, which was Drew Barrymore. Um, I've never seen it, but Eleven's character is supposedly very inspired by Drew Barrymore in Firestarter. There's a little visual there. I see. Obviously Ghostbusters. Yes. Obviously Halloween. Vecna falling out of the window at the end of season four and then being gone is very Michael Myers falling out of the window in Halloween and then being gone. Okay. Yeah. Hellraiser, which I didn't know this, but apparently Vecna was inspired by like the Cenobites in Hellraiser. I've never seen Hellraiser, but I know a bit about it. The Shining. And then, of course, we have pretty much already talked at length about this. The Star Wars trilogy. Like the OG from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. goodness. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's do some tropes. Now, oh, as I kind of okay. mentioned, these are tropes from horror movies of this time period. Okay. And some of them do depict racism and sexism. Yes. I do think as lovers of this show, we have to be willing to recognize flaws in the show. Absolutely. Yeah, and we have to be open to the criticism that surrounds the show. So... Just want to go into this part with that in mind. Yes. A refresher on what a trope is, just for those of you who don't know. According to literaryterms.net, the word trope can refer to any type of figure of speech, theme, image, character, or plot element that is used many times. So I picked three major ones. And then again, I did some little honorable mentions. The first trope is... Actually, expendable minority characters. Wow. Yeah. So this is the trope that minority characters in films are either first to die or do not last the length of the film. And I actually kind of want to go into this part saying I do think that this could warrant its own episode. Um, And I kind of learned a lot like doing this research. I think specifically of two examples that I have of this, which are Gremlins and The Shining. But there are obviously countless examples. Yeah. So just a quick overview. In Gremlins, Roy Hansen is the biology teacher at the local middle school. So he's essentially like the Mr. Clark of Gremlins. He was an African-American character depicted by an actor by the name of Glenn Turman. Billy, the main character in Gremlins, brings one of the Mogwai to Roy after they have multiplied. And Roy accidentally leaves chicken out and the Mogwai eats the chicken after midnight, turns into a gremlin, and then promptly kills Roy. Oh, my God. So it's like he's kind of introduced as a character and then he's immediately killed off. Yeah. Basically, Um, like, used as a a plot uh, moving forward device. Yes. Right. And then The Shining. So Stanley Kubrick's film adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining is completely different from the novel. I just want to kind of put that out there. So Dick Halloran mm-hmm. is portrayed by Scatman Crothers or Crothers in the film. He's essentially a head chef at the Overlook Hotel. And he is an African-American character in both the film and the movie. His Wait. role in the movie is significantly... You said what? in both the film. No, and the, the film and the book. The film and the <laughs> okay. book. Sorry. Um, his role in the movie is significantly reduced compared to the role he plays in the book. I actually wrote the film and the movie. <laughs> So essentially in the novel, Dick Halloran is the character who identifies Danny's shine. Yes. He's able to identify it because he too has the shine or the shining. 
and the two are kindred spirits of sorts. He is the man who Danny telepathically calls when Jack finally becomes violent. Mm -hmm. And Dick essentially flies across the country and traverses the mountains in a blizzard. Yes. Defying odds to save Danny and Wendy from Jack. And he is successful and he lives. And even in the epilogue of the novel, it's revealed that Danny and Dick have kind of continued to have this like father-son relationship after the tragic events at the hotel. In the movie, Dick does come to Danny and Wendy's rescue, but he is killed by Jack like pretty much immediately upon his arrival to the hotel. So disappointing. Literally. It really is. He, had, he really did. And he had such like a pivotal role in the novel. And in the film, he was just kind of like, again, more or less expendable. Yeah, which is tragic because like he was my favorite character in the movie. Like The Shining mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies and mm-hmm. I love him in that movie. And it's so sad because you want you want for Danny like what what Elle eventually gets to have where she gets to like explore her powers and like yes. learn more about it through like a mentor, but right. you know, Danny never really gets that chance. Although I haven't watched Doctor Sleep. I haven't watched Doctor Sleep either. Yeah. But so let's talk about Stranger Things. <laughs> Much of the criticism surrounding Stranger Things and its minority characters isn't necessarily centered around them being expendable. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of difficult to say definitively if the Duffer brothers adhered to this particular trope. The criticism centers more around their places in the narrative of the show in relation to the places of their white counterparts. So let's talk about Lucas. He is the one regularly appearing character of color until Erica becomes more or less part of the main cast Mm -hmm. in season three. And I found an article on Affinity Magazine. It's called The People of Color from Stranger Things Deserve Better Storylines. The article is from 2017. It's by a writer named Megan Hunt. And she talks about character design and how particularly in season one, Lucas was designed specifically to create challenges for our white heroes. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated this criticism. Here's a quote that kind of resonated with me. During the first season, he, Lucas, is constantly suggesting that he and his friends tell their parents about the mysterious telekinetic tween girl hiding out in Mike's basement. And on paper, this is a reasonable and logical idea. However, we as audience members have seen firsthand how dangerous a notion this is making us feel less understanding of Lucas's logic and more frustrated by the threat he poses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this really got me thinking about like how writers can be conscious of how the audience is going to receive a character, even if they're behaving perfectly logically as Lucas was in season one with his skepticism of L. We still reject him because he is a threat to characters with more likable storylines. Right. And I even remember like when we were doing our chapter episodes, we gave him I think we gave him LVP at one point because we were like, shut up, Lucas, like, stop. But he's not being illogical at all. He's not. He's being cautious. Yeah, for the most part, like, he's he's being fairly reasonable Mm -hmm. throughout the season. Right. It's just that we know more as the audience. Exactly. Yes. Um, Let's talk about Callie. (laughs) Yes. So in an article on CBR, it is noted how it would have made sense like narrative sense for Callie to have a presence in season four, considering Elle was revisiting her memories from the lab for much of the season. Yes. Yeah. Right. I thought a lot about this, how she did not appear at all. No. And she's alive. Yeah. Right. Callie is alive. Yeah. 
Yes. It is pointed out that despite her potential as a character on her own, like a standalone character, she was mostly used to further the narrative of a white character, Eleven. And she too, like Lucas at first, was designed to be unlikable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of agree and disagree because like, I don't think... The Duffer Brothers intended for her episode to be the least liked episode. Um, Right. Like, I'm sure they set out thinking it was going to be a great one. Sure. And I I personally, like, I I don't dislike her as a character. Like, I think she's great. And I think that she was a Mm -hmm. good foil for Eleven. But I could see, I guess, at the time why she could be seen as unlikable. Because she was sort of pushing Eleven to do things she wasn't really comfortable with. And, like, sort of opening her up to, like, a bad path, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, as we all know, the Lost Sister was incredibly poorly received by the fan base. It is the lowest rated chapter of the entire series. Yes, it is. So like just on IMDb, it has a 6.1 out of 10 stars, while literally every single other episode is rated over seven and a half stars. Wow. Yes. Just another great quote from the Affinity Magazine article, both women, Callie and Elle, have faced horrific trauma at the hands of Hawkins' lab, but it's suggested that these experiences strengthened Elle's moral compass while leaving eight, or Callie, blinded by revenge and retribution. Mm. The article also mentions eight sort of making Elle hallucinate Papa as a form of emotional manipulation, which really contributes to the unlikability of her character. Yeah. Okay, and lastly, let's talk about Argyle. The criticism surrounding Argyle is largely centered around him being a caricature or a stereotype. Hmm. A quote, he's reduced to being nothing more than a lazy, weed-smoking Latin stereotype. I think keeping the unlikable character problem in mind, Argyle is placed sort of between Nancy and Jonathan Mm -hmm. in a weird way, um, which could also make him kind of come off as unlikable to those who are big Nancy-Jonathan shippers yeah. jancies he is also sort of depicted as a bad influence on jonathan yeah i guess that's fair to say even though it's like you're finally like yay jonathan has a friend yes i know but, but it's like he's not um introducing him to the most productive things in the world though it's right it's hard to say though because like jonathan is a follower like mm-hmm. he apparently his dream forever was to go to NYU. And then suddenly when he's with Nancy, he's going to Emerson to study journalism out of nowhere. And now that he's good friends with Argyle, he's decided to go to community college with him. So it's like, yeah, he can be seen that way, I guess. But like at the same time, Jonathan's his own person and exactly definitely a follower. Right. And that's why it's really about audience perception. Right. And, like, how is the audience going to perceive this character? Because you can easily say, yes, Jonathan is a follower, making his own decisions of his own free will. I personally think Argyle is a very lovable character. Me too. Right? I don't really feel that he is unlikable. Same. But I can see how people could perceive him to be unlikable. Sure. And I guess, like, I mean, as silly as it sounds, like, we we live in a... A, a legal state <laughs> so like right. our perception of a weed smoker is like not that they are like a delinquent or anything like that sure. like we don't we don't really think that way and a lot of mo- i think for the most part most people at least in this country are kind of leaning that way but i'm sure there's mm-hmm. there's still a lot of kind of stigma out there around being that person so mm-hmm. you know i get it yeah and this is this is all just it's just it's like a really interesting perspective so I kind of want to close out this 
part of it about the expendable minority character trope with another quote from that article. And like I said, this article was written post season two. Mm. So I would almost like to see like a, an update. Maybe there's been change in the, the, the positive or the negative, but here's a quote. It all poses an important question. Does representation matter if your characters of color are going to be represented as unlikable? Mm. So just something to think about. Yeah. Okay. The next trope is the virgin hero and the final girl archetype. Mm. So we talked about this one a bit. We did. Yeah. So we talked about this particularly in our weirdo on Maple Street episode, but the concept of the final girl who is spared from death because she does not engage in sexual intercourse during the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the other girls in the movie, the other girls, you know, like Becky and Amy, the and- Becky and the Amys <laughs> <laughs> and the Lindas. Yeah, whoever those people are. <laughs> um, they are killed, right? Yeah. Because they partake in sexual intercourse. But the final girl does not partake and she lives until the end. This is just like any slasher movie from the 80s. Literally any of them. I think particularly of Lori in Halloween and, of course, Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street. Her and Glenn never engage in anything sexual. And her friend Tina has sex like within the first 10 minutes of the movie and is the first one dead. So it's just like it's definitely this. this, It's a trope for sure. But we actually talked about how the Duffer brothers reversed this trope because Barb, who does not have sexual intercourse, is depicted as quite innocent, is killed. Yeah, like right away. Completely just killed, right? Whereas Nancy, who is actively engaging in sexual intercourse while Barb is being murdered, is spared. Yeah. So like good on the Duffer brothers for reversing the trope, but also poor Barb. What a win for feminism, (laughs) but poor Barb. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So um, I had mentioned earlier that, <laughs> that web. All right. Everything's going to be fine. I know. You're really happy so about feminism. <laughs> I had mentioned the, the Mary Sue, which is like a hub for pop culture articles. It also points out how Nancy is not only not a virgin, but she is also incredibly resourceful. And she leads the charge against many of the antagonists in the show. She does. Yeah, so a quote, while typical final girls often have to depend on makeshift weapons, basic kitchen knives, or traps, Nancy Wheeler uses a gun and is one of the best shots in the series. She is. She is. Okay. Finally, let's talk about mental illness and the madman from the asylum. Mm. A quote from Screen Rant. Many films took the idea of someone living with a mental health condition and turned them into an emotionless killer. Mm. This is, again, a a trope. Think Michael Myers, like, escaping from, you know, the asylum in Halloween. We even get this reference from Lucas in season one, right? When he's like, I bet Elle came from Penhurst. Yes. Yeah. Um, another quote from a website, the, the Mary Sue website. This trope utilizes the fear of the unusual when it interacts with the normal and arguably has a lot of ableist connotations, demonizing those who struggle with mental mm-hmm. illness. Uh, we've already kind of talked at length about how Stranger Things confronts mental health quite directly. The characters are living with trauma, they're living with grief, depression, and the show doesn't really shy away from making these concepts into focal points. Yeah. I do remember I was nervous that the Duffer brothers were going to perpetuate this trope in season four with the Victor Creel character in Penhurst. Mm-hmm. I even remember being a little bit like disappointed to see the depiction of the other patients like wandering the grounds yeah. of Penhurst. Yeah. Um, but they actually kind of turn this trope on its head when we ultimately learn that Victor was a victim and not a perpetrator. Yes. 
So right. I appreciated that. I also like that, like, we do see the other patients at the at Penhurst who are just, like, mm-hmm. outside. And Nancy right. even asks, like, can't they just leave? And he's like, oh, yeah, they can, but they don't want to. So that's, yeah. that, that was kind of helpful to um, reversing that trope as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, some honorable mention tropes. The Eldritch Abomination. <laughs> I think we might have adhered to this A one. little bit, yeah. There, I think there's so. There's a few. There's a few Eldritch Abominations. Yeah. So I, I just want to say, hey, Mind Flare. Yes. Love you. Biggest fan. Same. The Psychic. Okay. Yeah, we have that. Yep. Yeah. We have a lot of that, actually. I think that's a, that's a show and the theme in the show. Yeah. It's like the whole thing. Yeah. Hitchhiking. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We do get that, too. Uh, right. A nice man. Big truck. Big truck. Nice man. (laughs) I want a shirt that on the front says nice man and on the back says big truck. (laughs) I love that idea. Nice man, big truck. Add it to the list of merch things maybe someday. Yes. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Nobody asked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tiny monsters that overpower humans. Yeah, I would say, like, yes and no, right? Yeah, like, the demodogs, I guess, would be the closest thing that we get. And Dart, maybe, yeah. before he becomes a demodog. Yeah, I was going to say rats, but no, they don't really do that. They don't overpower mm. humans. They do en masse. Yeah, right. You like, know, like, once we have, like, 4,000 rats. When they become gelatinous, yes. Oh, yes. In their gelatinous form. <laughs> 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 like a Pokemon. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the last one is bullying that is ignored. <laughs> bullying that is ignored? Oh, so like yes. the school is ignoring it. Yes, authority is ignoring the bullying, okay. which is like, every, yes, season one, season four. Yeah. Nobody cares. That teacher is useless. She really was. And all she did was make uh, like Angela more mad at Elle. Because <laughs> all she did. Right. Uh, yeah. Also, just before we finish, I just need to ask again. I am once again asking, why does Troy have a knife? Yeah, where did he get that? I don't know, man. Why is this 12-year-old carrying around a knife? Someone get this boy. Yeah. All right. Everybody go watch all these films now. No. I don't want to watch The Exorcist. No, don't do that. Okay, not that one. You're waved from that one. Thank you. But everybody go watch. Also, actually, you know what? Go watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Cancel your plans (laughs) and go watch Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Will do. Thanks. So yeah, this has been like 80s film inspiration of Stranger Things and some tropes and we hope you liked it. I liked it. And yeah, it's fun. It's fun stuff. And maybe we can do more inspo from other media besides film because I just really went off on a film. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll uh, do a whole Star Wars episode. That could be fun. That would be fun. I still have the talisman sitting in a pile. You haven't read it yet? Uh, no, it's like 700 pages. Never mind. <laughs> Maybe even more. It might be more. Oh I'll get there eventually. Yes. Okay. Well, happy new year. Happy new year, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Until next time, stay, stay straight. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming StarCourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at StarCourt Study Hall. 